You're listening to The Luxury Item, the podcast on the business of luxury and the people and companies that are shaping the future of the luxury industry. Here's your host, Scott Kerr. Cigar smoking has been a pleasant diversion, often an ingrained habit for politicians, movie stars, and a host of other famous partakers. Stogies have been a common companion of Robert Downey Jr., Leonardo DiCaprio, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone, Michael Jordan, Jay-Z, Jack Nicholson, Danny DeVito, Matthew McConaughey, and Andy Garcia. Even Jennifer Lopez keeps a Dunhill humidor in her home that can house up to 80 cigars. Cigars have been a cultural cornerstone in places like Cuba and the Dominican Republic and has become a symbol of wealth and success. The purchase power of consumer cigars continues to increase. Cigar production requires more investment than ordinary cigarettes. Therefore, the price of cigars is relatively high, especially for handmade big cigars. And it seems the cigar market is growing at a nice, healthy clip. According to a recent analysis, the worldwide market for cigars is expected to grow at a CAGR of roughly 2.5% over the next five years. However, the cigar market is not without its challenges. Recently, the Cuban-based cigar monopoly, Abanos S.A., announced cigar sales topped over half a billion dollars in 2019, about a 2% increase over 2018. Spain, China, Germany, and France leading the way as the strongest markets. While the profits may have increased in the country, Cuba is still suffering a cash shortage amid U.S. sanction and travel restrictions. Those in the U.S. can still buy cigars in Cuba and take them back, but cannot sell them. On top of that, the coronavirus outbreak in China and around the world can make it very challenging for cigar sales. My guest today on the Luxury Item Podcast is here to talk about the cigar business and help sort all of this out. David Savona is executive editor of Cigar Aficionado magazine. David has been writing for Cigar Aficionado since 1995 and became executive editor in 2014. He is probably one of the world's foremost experts on cigars. Cigar Aficionado Magazine, which is owned by M. Shankin Communications, has been around since 1992 and positions itself as the definitive lifestyle magazine for men. Aside from cigars, the print publication and its accompanying website focus on luxury lifestyle topics such as golf, travel, alcohol, and accessories. Cigar Aficionado also sponsors events such as The Big Smoke, the premier event for cigar smokers in the United States. Welcome, David. Uh, thanks, Scott. Very nice to be here. I was just reading recently that uh, you had just come back. For, actually, I, was, I think I was speaking to your uh, assistant, and you had just come back from Cuba from the Abano Cigar Festival, which, what does it, gets over like 2,000 attendees from around the world to really celebrate the cigar culture. What is that like? It's a tremendous show. It's a lot of fun. Uh, it, it gathers people from all over the world who either sell, distribute, or just enjoy Cuban cigars. A week-long event uh, with uh, several dinners, uh, factory tours, uh, cigar factory tours, uh, tours of tobacco plantations, and really a chance just to meet people who are experts in the world of Cuban cigars and people who are just interested in Cuban cigars. So it, it's quite an affair. So how much of it is business and how much, is, how much of it is pleasure? Pleasurable business, if I may say. It's, uh, it is a lot of fun to be there and to experience Cuba. Most of it's uh, centered in Havana, which is a great right. uh, tourist city. Right. Um, but there is a lot of work that gets done. Have, have you gone every year? I've gone every year for the past uh, several years. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been to Cuba about, uh, about 15, 16 times. Right. What are some of the changes that you've seen there, not only in the, in the country, but um, how the cigar market has changed, the Cuban cigar market? It's changed quite a bit. In, in recent years, uh, 
you've noticed a lack of certain uh, high-profile cigars. There's some cigars uh, where you, you just can't get, even in Cuba, which is one of the greatest places in the world to buy Cuban cigars. So uh, certain sizes of Cohibas are just not available. Uh, Cohiba Bahiques, which is uh, one of the most sought-after cigars in the world, we named the Bahique BHK 52 Cigar of the Year back in 2010. Mm. Can't get them. And it's uh, it's a cigar that sells for about three times the price of a, of a typical uh, Cuban Cohiba. So things like that are in short supply. Some, some of the bigger uh, cigars are in short supply. That's one of the more recent occurrences. And you're seeing fewer Americans now given the new uh, uh, view on Cuba by the current administration. Does the topic of the trade embargo come up? It comes up a lot. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. what do they say? What is the What is the overall sentiment there? Everyone wants a change. Everyone uh, in Cuba is hoping for a change. Uh, but they've been saying that since I started going. My, my first trip was in 1996. Right. So there's been hope from the Cuban people that the embargo will end. We got f- sort of close under the Obama administration, but now we've kind of taken a step backward to to old policies. And, and it's a shame, uh, in my opinion. The, the Cuban people are lovely people. Uh, they they embrace Americans, are very friendly to American visitors. And they really know there's a difference between uh, their feelings for Americans and the feelings, the hostilities between the two governments. So I, just just on behalf of my, my, my thoughts for the Cuban people, I would love to see the embargo ended. You were just saying that you go to the uh, the cigar factories. What is that like? It's a wonderful experience. If, if you love a cigar, you walk in, the first thing that happens as you're going through those doors is you smell this beautiful tobacco because there's uh, bales and bales of tobacco being turned by hand into cigars. And then you watch the craftsmanship. You watch these masters uh, taking tobacco leaves and turning them into, into cigars. It's an artisanal process; hasn't changed in you know more than centuries. Uh, and it, they're vibrant places. You know, there's a lot of activity. Sometimes there's a, a lector at a, at a podium reading news of the day. Uh, there's the sound of the chevettes, the steel uh, right. knives they use to cut the cut the tobacco. It, it, it's a very cool experience. It, they're all family-owned businesses, right? They once were. Uh, now they're all property of the state. In in Cuba, they're all owned by the uh, by the state and, and are run by by the Cuban government. So there were once before the revolution, there were individual factories that were had house styles and were basically private businesses that competed against one another. Now they're all right. working for the the same team. So it's really hard to disrupt the Cuban cigar business at this point if it's all run by the state. It's all run by the state. Yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a shame. So I'm not a, I'm not a big cigar expert. What has always been the allure of a Cuban cigar? And are they different or better than ones from Nicaragua, the Dominican Republic? So I think you recently rated, was it one from Nicaragua as the best cigar? Absolutely. Our, our yeah. current cigar of the year is a Nicaraguan cigar, the Aging Room Nicaragua uh, Cuatro Maestro. Uh, so sometimes Cuban cigars are the best, sometimes they're not. I, I think the allure is that they are the birthplace uh, of the handmade cigar. Uh, the first cigars were, were rolled in Cuba. Uh, Cuba is where these great legendary brands were born, Romeo Julieta, Monte Cristo, Cohiba. So it's much like like the world of wine, you know, with France being the, the birthplace. It, sometimes French wines are the best in the world, but sometimes they're not. And a lot of it also comes down to personal taste. I, I smoke cigars from all over the world. I love Cuban cigars, but I also love Dominican, Nicaraguan, Honduran. And I think like a lot of cigar smokers, if, if I had my, my, my choice, I would try to smoke them all. I wouldn't want to just smoke cigars from one country. And you, can you, if you took a blind taste test, could you tell the difference between a Cuban cigar and, and a Nicaraguan cigar? Or from one from- I prob- yes, I, 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 I probably could. Not always. There, there are some non-Cubans that taste Cuban-esque, if you, if you would. There, there are some non-Cubans that taste very different. Uh, the Cuban cigars have a certain style. So, yeah, I, I could probably pick one out in a taste test. Oh, 
So I want to hear about you and how did you get into the cigar world? Um, you've been there since 1994, been writing. Um, I'm assuming that cigars have been part of your life before that. So what was the allure from the beginning and how did you become this expert in cigars and what was it? You know, I always liked to write. I was uh, I was one of those kids who, you know, would sit there and uh, you know, write stories and try to write a movie script. I, I always knew I wanted to make my living as a writer from a very early age. I got a job as a business writer. Uh, I started uh, experimenting with cigars. You know, when I was in high school, I, you know, I tried a cigar, way too young to smoke one. Went to college, smoked some more. So I, cigars became a, a hobby for me. And then I found a job uh, writing for a magazine, a small business magazine. One day, I saw an ad in the New York Times advertising a, a magazine I had never heard of called Cigar Aficionado. And I said, what is this? I found it, read it, fell in love with it. I said, well, this is really for me. And then I started pestering the the people who were in charge to uh, give me a story assignment. Started with a story assignment, and then some time went by, and um, they were hiring, and I I got my foot in the door. Got do you a remember the first? Do you remember that story? What a- oh, very well. It was a story about CEOs who smoke. I said, you know, the the image of a cigar smoking uh, powerhouse and you know, the boss with a cigar. Uh, so mm-hmm. I came up with a couple of examples. They they liked the idea. They gave me some more examples. Turned into a, a story that was published in the Jack Nicholson issue in uh, 1995. When I remember when Cigar Aficionado launched in the 90s, and I was invited when I was working at an ad agency, I was invited to one of their big. Um, lunch, cigar lunches, which nobody had ever heard of. Um, and it was a great way to get potential advertisers together all in one room and sort of experience the brand. And I was telling you beforehand, I'll share with the audience, is that I remember that after the cigar luncheon, um, I had a client meeting in the afternoon and I didn't realize that I completely smelled of cigar smoke. And <laughs> But I think my client was okay with it. My client actually um, wanted to know more about it and where he can uh, get an invitation next time. So how did the idea come about with Marvin Shankin when he started Cigar Aficionado? What was his mission going in? Where did he see the opportunity? And how has that mission changed over the last 20 years. Marvin Shankin uh, loved cigars from a very early age, and he had a magazine called Wine Spectator, which predates Cigar Vishnata by many, many years. And he used to write a column for Wine Spectator in every issue, and occasionally he would touch on the subject of, of cigars. And one day he said, I need to go to Cuba. Uh, he went to Cuba on a trip for a cover story for Wine Spectator. It was called The Allure of Cuban Cigars. Marvin spent about a week in Havana uh, touring factories, touring fields, smoking Cuban cigars. And as he told me, this is, this predates my time at the magazine, as he told me, it predates Cigar Aficionado too. On the plane ride home, he said to himself, I need to have a cigar magazine before I die. I don't care if it loses money. I want to have a cigar magazine. He went back to his office, gathered his top executives, told them his plan, and they didn't like the idea at all. And he went against their their wishes, said, I don't care. I don't care if I lose money. I'm, I'm doing this. It was a passion play, essentially. It was a passion play. And as he likes to say, it was a hit from the beginning. It made money from the beginning. He didn't do it to make money. He did it to to you know to, to express his uh, his one of his greatest hobbies. He loves wine. That's why he has Wine Spectator. He really loves cigars. He founded Cigar Vishnato, and it, he, he created a something that's just really transformed the cigar business. What did the cigar companies think at first? They thought he was crazy too. Yeah, he had uh, he had a meeting with one uh, cigar company. They uh, 
they said, oh, there's no way this is going to last. There's no way it's going to last. They, 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 a lot of them told him he was making a mistake, but they, they said, okay, we'll, we'll check it out. We'll try to make it work. And now many of them who have been there from the beginning credit Marvin for what he did for really changing the business. I write about the cigar business, so I, I see the numbers. The cigar market was flat and dying before the advent of Cigar Aficionado. Before he made that magazine, we were looking at a market of about 100 million cigars imported a year right. from the big producing countries. Uh, the last numbers were about 320 million, uh, it, it, and it went much higher than that. But not, not only did it go higher, um, th- we're selling a lot more cigars today than were ever sold before, but at a much higher price point. The last box of cigars I bought before joining the company, I bought for thirty-five dollars. You can't find a box of good cigars no. for thirty-five dollars anymore. So, cigars became a luxury product uh, in, in in a lot of reasons for uh, because of what Marvin did. Um, they went from selling for a couple of cents or you know, a dollar or so a piece to now selling for ten, fifteen, twenty, even thirty or fifty dollars a piece. Now I remember one issue I think Marvin interviewed Fidel Castro. What was was there was that was that a controversial it was issue very, or you know, what happened? How did that happen? How did he secure that uh, meeting? It was controversial. You can imagine in an industry where a lot of the people who make cigars uh have family origins dating back to the days of, of Cuba uh, there's there's some serious opinions about Fidel Castro in the cigar industry, uh, not many of them positive because of what he did in the Cuban cigar industry. However, Marvin saw Fidel as the image of, of the Cuban cigar, a fascinating person. Uh, it took a lot of effort to to land that interview, and it was one of those epic interviews. You know, got the phone call in the middle of the night, you know, come to the Palace right. of the Revolution, talking, talking, talking. Castro told amazing stories. You can still see the interview on our website. It's one of those things I reread every once in a while. It was a, a pretty amazing interview. Did they keep in touch afterwards? I think there was some contact once or twice yeah. afterwards, uh, but uh, yeah, they didn't become buddies or anything like that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> Smoking buddies. I was, before the show, I was talking about um, and setting up the show, the growth of the cigar industry, and, and it has been growing at a nice clip. Why do you think that is? Why do you think the market is growing? Cigars are one of those affordable luxuries. I, I mentioned they, they have gone up in price, but they're still obtainable. Um, our cigar of the year retails for about ten dollars. So the, the the finest cigar of the year right now is according to according to our blind tastings is about ten bucks. Just about everybody can afford ten dollars. It's hard to afford the, the the best bottle of wine. The, the finest car is out of my my, my budget, uh, finest houses. But cigars are an affordable luxury. So it, it's an attainable luxury. It's something that if you really want to experience something good, uh, you could do it for a, a reasonable price. I think that's part of it. And cigars continue to sell well despite the best efforts of the government to make it a very difficult market. The right. U.S. government, the FDA, uh, is making it very hard for cigar makers to make their product. So part of it is I don't really know why it's why it's doing so well. It's doing well despite a lot of factors that are really um, in, in in the way of, of of a good market environment. The product level is very good. The cigars that you see on the market right now are, are exceptional, uh, of exceptional quality, much better than they were like in the early days of the magazine. Right. When, there was some rushing going on when the cigar boom was happening. It's a good time to be a cigar smoker. So what about the premium cigar market? Is is that also growing? Oh, yeah. When I say cigar market, uh, I'm sorry. Right. Yeah, I'm talking about I'm, pre- okay, First, I was talking about the whole – I mean there are a lot of different 
Obviously, love some cigars. Very good for you to bring that up. The, right. the the entire cigar market, most cigars sold in America are, are cheap mass market right. uh, machine-made cigars. Right. Things like uh, Swisher Sweets, uh, Dutch Masters. They sell many, many more of them because they're, they're very easy to make, quick to make, and those are sold in convenience stores. And that's a multi-billion dollar unit market. Uh, the market we talk about is premium handmade, and that's about a 330 million unit market there, thereabouts. So given the whole health kick that people are on and people are smoking less cigarettes, mm. it seems to be going against the grain. You know, people still purchasing premium cigars. And sure. maybe it is more of a feeling and an emotion by having these attainable luxuries, um, by celebrating different things with a uh, with a premium cigar. Well, I think people look upon cigars very differently than they look upon uh, cigarettes. And they're, they're made differently. I mean, they're both made with tobaccos, but they're made with different kinds of tobaccos. Uh, cigarettes are, are are made with uh, uh, added um, uh, ammonia, which uh, when combined with nicotine uh, has your body boost the amount of nicotine that it absorbs. When a cigar maker makes a cigar, they do everything they can to get the ammonia out of the tobacco because uh, that causes harshness of flavor. So it takes a lot longer to make a cigar uh, than it does to make a cigarette. And they're made entirely differently. And uh, the way they're smoked is different too. Uh, c- uh, c- cigarette smokers inhale the smoke. Right. So cigar smokers keep it in their mouth because you don't really have taste buds in your mouth. Right. So. I think we're starting to see even a growth among millennials are starting to smoke more premium cigars. Are you seeing that too? Yeah. The cigar market has uh, – back in the early days uh, when the cigar market was dying, it was a very older audience, uh, an entrenched audience that smoked the same cigar day in, day out. Uh, a cigar smoker would typically be you know, somebody in their 60s perhaps right. uh, would buy a box of cigars, uh, the same box, same size. Nowadays, uh, it, it's gone into a, a business of singles. Uh, people go into a cigar store. They say, what's new? What do you have? Then they buy one of these, two of those, uh, experiment a little bit. There's a lot more choices today than there used to be. And the average age is, is, is much younger. It's still it, – it's never been for children. It's, it's never going to be for children. But we see younger people at our, at our events. And when we say younger in the, in the premium cigar industry, right. you know, guys in their 30s, sometimes uh, guys in their late 20s, uh, there, there's younger blood out there. Right. What's interesting to me is Tampa, Florida has all these boutique operations where cigars are rolled by hand. So how did Tampa become sort of the U.S. center for cigar factories? A long time ago, Tampa was the the heartbeat of the of the cigar industry in the United States. Tampa's uh, very close to Cuba. Uh, a lot of Cubans settled there um, and began making cigars. Uh, even though when Cuban cigars were legal in the United States, most of the Cuban cigars smoked in the United States were were made in the United States from Cuban tobacco. So Cuba would export the tobacco to a, a factory in the United States or, or to centers in the United States. And the cigars we made, uh, they, they were called Clear Havanas, made in bond in the U.S. It started in Key West and then hurricanes kind of de- devastated Key West and, the, and the, uh, the production shifted to Tampa. Tampa became the epicenter, especially the Tampa neighborhood known as Ybor City. Mm-hmm. Tons of cigar makers, many of Cuban heritage, some of Spanish, some of uh, uh, Italian heritage, rolled cigars, and uh, it became just the the center of of cigar production. I think at one point there were 500 million uh, cigars a year rolled in Tampa alone, uh, all by hand. How many come out of it now? Uh, Not that many. There's there's, there's little little places left in Tampa that roll cigars. There are some headquarters there, like Arturo Fuente makes its headquarters there. Fuente is one of the the leading uh, producers of cigars in the world right now. Uh, they make their cigars in the Dominican Republic. There's still one company, J.C. Newman, that makes cigars uh, in, 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 in good quantities there, including some uh, by hand. So they're kind of keeping that old tradition alive in Tampa. Tampa's also a great place to go just to enjoy a cigar and to you know, uh, see some of the old history down there and to right. enjoy the good weather. 
before we were talking about the government and some of the regulations, and I think the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, they have these new compliance rules on uh, on premium cigar makers. What are those rules, and how will those rules impact like these mom-and-pop cigar shops that are all over? They're the ones that are driving the business. Absolutely. The, the rules are having an awful – making it very, very hard to, to, to make a business in the world of cigars, especially on the cigar makers. Uh, like if you and I wanted to, to, to create a cigar company, if we had wanted to do it 10 years ago, we would have just gotten together, found a, a cigar maker to make it, you know, tried some blends, and then it would have been in our hands to, to, to see if that would work or not. Nowadays, we really couldn't do that without spending many, many thousands of dollars going through government regulation to get a cigar approved before it gets on the market. It's become a difficult market. They, it it, it kind of locks in the established companies, makes it very hard for new blood to come in. And a lot of the the cool things you see in the cigar business are being done by smaller cigar makers who are experimenting, going uh, against tradition, coming out with non-traditional cigars, uh, more exciting blends. So it's it, it's a shame that the government is putting these roadblocks in the way. What is the FDA doing to uh... – uh, Prohibitions on launching new right. product without approval. Um, they wanted to put uh, big warning labels on cigar boxes that would obscure the art, uh, take up like 30 percent of the, of the box. That battle has been won so far by the cigar industry. Um, they want testing done on individual cigars, which is very hard because each one is rolled by hand, and they're kind of, they're, you know they're not they're not products of machines. So they're not standardized like a machine made product. Uh, it, it goes on and on. There's a lot of different restrictions, and a lot of that's aimed at cigarette production, but it gets filtered down to cigar production, and then it gets filtered down to handmade cigar production, right. which is just a different business in its entirety. Were they trying to put premium cigars in a completely different category? Well, the, the people who make premium cigars right. are seeking an, ex, an exemption and hoping for uh, relief from these uh, these restrictions, and they're, they're, the battle's been going on. There's There's no real relief in sight right now. And every industry I see is being disrupted, and I have not read anything about the cigar industry being disrupted. Are there disruptors in the industry and do you see it think it's ripe for disruption i think it's not ripe for disruption the disruption is all from the u.s government right now if you asked 100 cigar makers 10 years ago what was their biggest problem they would say uh, it, it's the internet they were, they were always worried about uh, internet price undercutting uh, cigars that were sold in a, a non-traditional manner that undercut the brick and mortar traditional shops ask them that same question today to a man or a woman they would say it's it's the u.s government and a lot of it runs counter to the, the, the Trump administration, which is an anti-regulation administration. Uh, these roadblocks were put in by the previous administration. The Obama administration put the U.S. tobacco industry under the auspices of the FDA, and it's continued under the Trump administration. We're hoping for some relief. Do you see any possibilities that there could be some new players on the uh, in the market? You, you see one or two coming in despite the roadblocks. Um, there's uh, – but most of the most of the the, the new players, the, I've been doing this for a long time, so new in my book might not be as uh, as new as, as most people would think. But if you go back just a couple of years, there's some some younger people making some very cool cigars. There's a guy named Kyle Jealous makes a cigar named Warped. Uh, he's a he's a guy. He's about 30 years old. And makes very interesting blends. Uh, he's a guy who drinks a lot of good wine. Makes these very good cigars. He's one of our, uh, our top cigars of the year. There's a very interesting fellow named uh, Dion Giolito from uh, Reno, Nevada. Uh, he's about six foot seven. Uh, he's got big lamb chops like Elvis. Makes some of the best cigars you've ever had. Um, called Illusioni. Creative names. Great cigars. Very well balanced. And it's people like this that really give life to this industry and make uh, make for an interesting smoking product. Has any new technology 
sort of made its way into the cigar market? Very little. It's a, it's a, it's a it's an industry that's sort of devoid of uh, of of machinery and technology. It's you know most of these things it's are just handmade. made. It's handmade. The, the one thing that's that that the one bit of technology that you see is in the some of the curing barns. The tobacco gets picked in the fields, hung in a barn, and it usually sits there for about forty five days, uh, where it turns from green to brown. And gets ready to be fermented, so it's a long process to get to the uh, to the actual cigar. The the, the cigars I was showing you before, uh, they may have been planted as seeds, um, say five to eight years ago. So it takes a long time to make a cigar. There's a little bit of technology you see in the barns now, where they uh, seal the barns and use what looks like uh, air conditioning vents to circulate the air. That's about as, as high tech as it gets in the uh, in the cigar business nowadays. So the disruption is really new blends of tobacco. Exactly, yeah. And sometimes you see people using tobaccos from regions that you haven't uh, heard of before. You know, there's some people growing tobacco in Pennsylvania, which is a little non-traditional. Um, you see tobacco from places like Costa Rica. But for the most part, most of the cigars we smoke are made with tobaccos from Nicaragua, Dominican, Ecuador, Cuba, Honduras, five countries. How do you think the cigar culture has changed from the 90s till today? Cigar smoking has – in the 90s, it was very trendy. I think there were people who were smoking cigars to kind of have that look. Look, I'm smoking a cigar. It's the hot new thing. Cigar smoking today isn't trendy. It's people who are smoking cigars now are doing it because they love it. And you mentioned Arnold Schwarzenegger. He's still smoking cigars. He was just on our cover not too long ago. Uh, he seems like he's always on the cover. You know, he set the record. He, uh, he's been on our cover four times. Uh, our readers love him. He's, uh, he's the ultimate cigar aficionado. Yeah. Uh, and he's a great interviewer, too. He's a fantastic yeah. interview. Absolutely. Another thing about the cigar industry is it's notoriously a boys' club. And there are women who smoke cigars, but there doesn't seem to be a sufficient number to exert any significant influence in the marketplace. So – what are you seeing when it comes to women and, and smoke cigars? Any kind of trend there? Yeah. Uh, there there are more and more women who smoke cigars. We see them at our big smokes. Uh, we hear from them in our reader letters. Uh, but more importantly, you see them in the business more so than ever before. It, it definitely was a boys club back in the day. It was a – if you saw a cigar factory, a cigar brand, there was probably a man behind it making the cigar, working in the factory, selling the brand. That's not really the case nowadays. There's some very prominent women in the business we we hosted a panel on uh, women in the cigar business at our most recent Big Smoke. People like uh, Liana Fuente, Cynthia Fuente Suarez from from Arturo Fuente, uh, Inez uh, Lorenzo Gomez from La Flor Dominicana, um, Lisette Perez Carrillo from uh, EP Carrillo Cigar Company. Uh, the, these are all women who are either at the the very top or right near the top of these cigar companies, making important decisions, making blends, going out to cigar shops. Uh, it, it's a very, it's a new thing. It's a very important thing. And women are, there are very strong women in this business who are making some excellent cigars, a very important part of it. Does Cigar Aficionado cover these women in the, uh, in the magazine? We, we do. And our readers do love it. So what about millennials? We talked a little bit about before. It, all, it seems that the cigar bars and cigar lounges are becoming very popular and they seem to be filled with millennials and younger people. Where do you see the growth in, in uh, not only with millennials and cigars, but cigar lounges as well? Cigar lounges are vital right now in the business. When, when I started in 1995, uh, lounges weren't as uh, big a deal because you could just smoke in more places. You know, when I wanted to have a cigar uh, in New York City in 1995, 96, I would just go to my local bar, and uh, odds are the bar would allow uh, cigar smoking. If it didn't, I would go to a different bar. The, the owners dictated where you could smoke. 
when non-smoking laws came into effect in New York, California and then spread basically everywhere, cigar lounges became important. Cigar shops started to open up lounges, places where you could smoke. So cigar shops have transformed dramatically over the, the quarter century I've been working at Cigar Aficionado. They went from places strictly to buy a cigar. You would give a cigar to somebody and they would get out. They became places now to gather and hang out and smoke. Yeah, in the back room? In the back room because it, in a lot of places that's your only choice for a place to smoke. So cigar lounges are incredibly important. I think our last survey of, uh, of, of cigar shops that we did for our, our newsletter, Cigar Insider, our sister publication, showed that 90% of the, the cigar shops that we surveyed had a cigar lounge of some sort. That could be anything from a, a little table with a couple of chairs to something very grand and ornate where they actually have beverages and sometimes food service too. So what about marketing cigars? What are the rules and regulations around marketing cigars online? That's uh, it's that's actually an interesting question. I, there, it's not strictly prohibited right now. I mean, if you're asking about marketing cigars, I would say the first choice would be marketing and cigar vision on a magazine. We you know we do take cigar ads in our magazine. Uh, you see some their cigar comes up with a presence on social media. You know to get in touch with their with fellow cigar smokers. And we also take ads on our cigar site, uh, cigarvisionado.com. So it's there. There are companies that put warnings on the on the ads. There's right. there's a group of companies that are, are part of a um, a group uh, agreement to uh, to put voluntary ad uh, warnings on the uh, on the advertisements and also on the cigar boxes. But other than that, it's uh, sort of up in the air right now. Well, cigar sales. Most of the cigar sales are. Uh, at the cigar stores, but the online presence and online uh, sales of cigars is, is growing. And I was just reading that the U.S. House of Representatives just passed a bill exempting premium cigars from selling online. You know, they recognize premium cigars as sort of this unique tobacco category. Um, and if that wasn't the case, that really could be disastrous the cigar market. Online sales are a very important part of the business right now, even for the, for the premium category. We, we always have supported the brick and mortar, the local cigar shop. But the, the reality is not everybody has a great cigar shop within a comfortable distance of their home or, or office. So buying online has become a real factor in, you know, in modern-day America. You buy stuff online, whether it's you know, groceries or right. whatever, and, and that includes cigars too. Um, so even though we, we support the, the local brick-and-mortar, we understand the, the importance and the, the relevance of, of online buying. And some of these cigar shops have added online sales as part of their business too. It's not just uh, – a group of big companies. So big companies do dominate the online business. Uh, names like Cigars International, Famous, etc. But uh, the the smaller guys are getting in the act too. How does social media play a role in this? Are there cigar influencers on social media? There are, like any other industry. Yeah, and uh, it's a very visual medium and a medium that, that translates it's a well. lifestyle. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so you see a lot of it on on Instagram, on Twitter, Facebook. Twitter is not as important as the other two right now, but um, I use all, all all three to kind of keep in touch. And, and and we play the game too. You know, we're constantly getting the word out about our, our events, our magazines, whatever on on Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, we've got quite the following there. You know, it's it's another way to interact with our readers. And again, something that's completely different than what it was in the beginning of the magazine. Oh yeah, it, it's kind of refreshing as, as an editor. You know, back in the the early days, you would create a magazine. It was a quarterly magazine back then. Send it out, and your your feedback would be via letters uh, mailed into the office. That changed uh, where you get uh, you know uh, digital responses very fast. 
we would get responses at our events. But now we hear instantaneously via social media. You, you put out a post, people comment on it. We can communicate back and forth with them. So it's, it's kind of refreshing. It also keeps you busier. My final question, which I ask all my guests, is the luxury item question. I have a feeling I might know the answer, but we'll see. It could surprise me. So if you were stranded on a deserted island and you can have only one luxury item with you, and it can't be a form of transportation, obviously, and it can't be anything that requires uh, mobile service, so you can't communicate with anybody, you're just there by yourself on this deserted island with one luxury item. I could say, with, and it can't be a cigar, but I'll just leave it open to you. <laughs> what would that one luxury item be? This is a terribly hard question, I have to tell you. Uh, if it is a cigar, I would say it would be a box of pre-Castro Cuban cigars, something that's been sitting around and aging since 1959. Uh, it's in perfect condition, and that way I could enjoy those cigars in my moments of quiet and solitude on that deserted island, hopefully in the shade under a nice palm tree if that exists. You'd probably want a big box so you can – I don't know how long it would last, but when, I don't know if you would smoke you know, each cigar in one sitting, but I think you'd want to try to extend that, uh, that pleasure as long as you can. David, thank you so much. Where can um, people learn about Cigar Aficionado? Oh, please come see us at uh, CigarAficionado.com. Uh, we, we update the, cigar, the site every day. We'd uh, love to have you see, say hi to us there. When is the big smoke, the next one? The next one is uh, April 3rd and 4th in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, it's Big Smoke meets Whiskey Fest, two worlds kind of coming together. Have you ever thought about expanding internationally? You know, we've asked, been asked that question an awful lot. The, the, the question of the Cubans comes up, and that becomes a bit of a difficulty. Right. Uh, so we have not had a big smoke outside the U.S. I look forward to the day when we could actually do that. Uh, and then we have our big one coming up in Las Vegas, Nevada in, uh, in, in November. That's, uh, that's the biggest big smoke we throw all year. Where is that being held in Las Vegas? Uh, at the Mirage in Las the Vegas. Mirage. Okay, great. David, thank you so much. You've been a great guest. Uh, thanks very much for having me. appreciate it. That's it for this episode of the Luxury Item Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this useful and entertaining, I would be really grateful if you can share it with a friend or colleague. I would love it if you subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It really helps other listeners find us. The Luxury Item Podcast is a production of Silvertone Consulting. I'm your host, Scott Kerr. Until next time.